0: <laughs> I'm being counted in. Well, good morning. Just to uh, re-extend a welcome to you. Thanks, Tanner, for doing such a good job with those notices today. It was very, very clearly explained, which is really helpful. Uh, my name's Barney. I lead the team here. Um, I just, just, I just want to add a couple of bits to, to the notices. So, just uh, first, firstly, after church, the second meeting today, so at 12:15, and um, we're doing a welcome lunch. So, if you're a new visitor to the church, or you've been at the church a little while, but would like to get to know us a bit more, please feel. F- free to come back at 12.15 today. We're doing a light lunch of soup and other bits and bobs. So if you are new to the church and you want a spot of food today, but also you want to catch up with us, please feel free to stick around or come back uh, at 12.15 later on for that. Um, And secondly, just on the churches that heal uh, stuff, we, we really obviously... Over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on prayer and then the encounter evenings, which have been really excellent. And then we're going to move into Churches That Heal. And Churches That Heal, as Tan has already kind of shown us and through the video, um, is about uh, becoming a church that is able to help people with mental health issues, but also becoming a church where one another where each of us are able to form healthy relationships in the church where we know we know what healthy boundaries there are but also how we can form healthy relationships with one another that demonstrate the gospel to the world around us and so that's why we're doing this course it it'll be an important thing for us to be able to walk through together and it really will help us in terms of our pastoral care for you because the the, the stronger our relationships and our understandings are in terms of who we are in jesus and our understanding of the gospel. The, the healthier our relationships will be with other people. And so we want to focus on that together as a church family. And so can I please encourage you to join us for that? So um, as, as was said, it, you can come to be in the building or you can join on Zoom. So we'll be giving you even more information about that next Sunday in light of the fact that the first one will be taking place on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday week. So not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday after that. Um, so that's that's all, all of that stuff. But if I can just uh, talk a, a little bit before we get into anything else, we need to talk the Apostles' Creed through together, don't we? So I'm going to invite you to stand up with me, and we are doing a series on the Apostles Creed if you're new to the church today, and I'm preaching on it today, Um, and one of the things we've been doing every week is we've been saying it out together and declaring it as a way of memorizing it, but also proclaiming it together. So it will come up on the screen in a minute, I hope, um, and then we'll go through it. Right, you ready? Okay, one, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of the sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats again. There you go. I won't get you to stand up and sit down anymore. And also do be careful as well. Let me tell you a little story. We are going to take communion at the end of my talk today. Um, Do be careful that you're not sitting on it. Um, I once went to a conference and accidentally sat on one of these and ended up with a giant purple patch on my backside the whole time. Totally ruined the pair of shorts I was wearing. So do be careful with those. I saw somebody sitting down. I go, no, please don't sit on it. Um, Cool. Well, I'm speaking today on the topic of the forgiveness of sins the forgiveness of sins. And so just as a recap to you, over the first few weeks, we looked at some, as uh, Sam really helpfully put a couple of weeks ago, he spoke about the fact that there is almost two parts to the Apostles' Creed. You've got kind of theology that starts it off, so the theology of the Godhead, who, who God is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And then you get into some practical outworkings of it. So um, Ephesians 3 talks about the fact that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known. And it's through the church that the world gets to encounter the work of Christ. It's through the church that the gospel is being proclaimed. And so as Sam helpfully put a couple of weeks ago, that, that, that it's the, the out practical outworking of the earlier comments that we find in the second half of the creed. And when Sam spoke a couple of weeks ago, he spoke about the fact that we are uh, not just getting... Get Gateway Church isn't the only church on earth that, is, that is, is God's chosen people, okay? We belong to a much greater group of people, and that, that group of people, even right now across Ashford and across the UK, many people are uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus, and we join with them as the universal church, and that word in the creed, Catholic, just represents that. Catholic just means whole or universal, Okay, so when we're affirming that, we're not affirming Roman Catholicism. We are affirming the fact that the church is a worldwide body of believers. Uh, Debbie then helpfully put that into context of what that church then looks like last week, as we spoke about the communion of the saints. So the idea that, that, that as a church community, we're called to love one another. In fact, actually, this is one of the greatest commands we see in the New Testament. Jesus says, that the, the, two, the two greatest commands are, I love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he quotes something from Deuteronomy called the Shema, and then he says, and then love your neighbor as yourself, and John quotes it again and again and again throughout John's writings, love one another. Jesus a new command I give to you, love one another. We're called to love one another. And that is what it means to be in in communion with one another. It's about our love for each other. And as Debbie Debbie helpfully put it last week, it's not just about providing for one another's needs materially, but it's also about encouraging one another, building one another up, helping each other to uh, be encouraged into all the things that God has for us. And then we get this statement, the forgiveness of sins. And you might think... Okay, so it's changing tack again. But there's good, there's, there's good reason to believe that really what's going on here in the creed is that when it, gets, it says the forgiveness of sins, it's actually talking about within the church community. We believe in the forgiveness of sins together as a church community. You see, what we need to understand, and this is what I'm going to speak about today, is that if we really understand our forgiveness in Christ, we can forgive one another. <laughs> we'll be able to walk in forgiveness and openness with one another. And that should be most exemplified within the church. You see, we should be speaking something back to the world around us about what the gospel looks like. Forgiven people know what it is to forgive others. And that's a really important point that I would like you to remember from today. If you know what it is to walk in forgiveness, you'll know how to forgive other people. I think often when we look at things, uh, we look at it from our cultural mindset. And so when we look at the, the, the kind of the, the gospel, we look at it all as being individualistic. It's all about me and my sin being set free uh, from my sin before God. And that is all very true. But also there's a corporate thing in it as well. The forgiveness of sins isn't just something for us as individuals, but it's for us as a church uh, family. But if we were to... Uh, speak about forgiveness and sins for a minute they are becoming more and more alien to us in terms of the culture that we live in so just this week uh, fascinating news stories from the week so Colleen Rooney and uh, Rebecca Vardy I don't know whether you've looked at that at all I support Leicester City Uh, they're playing dreadfully at the moment but Rebecca Vardy's married to Jamie who's the best striker in the world and um and so I don't laugh at me um and Anyway, so they've had this big spat and this big falling out. And the key issue there is what they need to do is they need to both acknowledge that they've done things that are wrong and forgive one another. But they can't bring themselves to do it. And then you've got Kurt Zuma, who probably should never own another pet again. But, again, he... He needs to ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. But we can't, we can't understand this in our culture. Forgiveness is not something we like doing. I'm not even going to talk about what's going on in Westminster at the moment. Okay, But there's this whole issue we have with forgiveness. We don't understand it. Our culture doesn't understand it. And I think we could kind of say, oh, you know, we, we, we often pray about coming back to Christian values as a society, but we must recognise as well that our society isn't Christian. It's post-Christian. It's forgotten what it means. It's forgotten what the gospel looks like. And so we need to be praying that God uh, in his mercy uses us to demonstrate what the gospel looks like to our culture around us. So we have a problem with forgiveness. But we also have a problem with sin. Because we can see the wrong in other people really easily, can't we? We'll go on social media and we'll say, I can't believe they said that. Or I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they think this about that or that. So we can quite easily pick out faults in other people. But when it gets then leveled back at us, we don't like it. Oh, I can't believe that they said that I did that wrong. We don't, we don't like it. Jesus talks about this, doesn't he? He says, you know, don't, don't point out the, the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye. We, we, we can, we're very quick to judge others, but not recognize the things that are wrong in ourselves because we don't fully understand sin. And we're being sold another lie all the time, and it's, it's just a, an undercurrent that happens throughout our, our kind of cultural understanding, and, and it's this, and I'll try and make it as easy as possible to try and explain that if you were to dig down inside of yourself, this is the kind of lie that gets perpetuated, if you were to dig down inside of yourselves, what you would find is you would find something really good at the core of your being. So, everything, actually, ultimately, all of us, really, we're all good people underneath it all. If you took away all the surface stuff, all the stuff that, that's happened to us, or that, that we've, we've done to other people, we're just a product of our upbringing, so on and so forth. If you took all that away, underneath it all, at the core of it, is something good. And so, you can go on a journey of self-discovery to find the real you, and when you find that real you, it's a good, it's a good thing. And so, we are sold that lie, and that, 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 that assumption that we're all really good people underneath it all, pervades our culture but it's not what the bible teaches at all about who we are fact, actually the bible teaches something very different it teaches that we are under the weight of sin and it teaches that if you were to dig down into each of us and get to the very core of our being what you don't find is something good what you find is something inherently broken in us we are all broken says the Bible, teaches the Bible. Jesus, um, I, I, I spoke about this on Father's Day when he he's speaking about prayer. He talks about um, uh, evil people uh, giving good gifts to their children. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. But he says, he's just it's this throwaway comment, though you who are evil. Jesus himself identified the issue that underneath it all, actually, we're broken and we do bad things. It's not that we do bad things. We can't help but do bad things. Because underneath it all, we are inherently broken. Galatians 3.22, so we're going to go into a a series on Galatians in a couple of weeks' time. And Galatians 3.22 talks about the idea that the whole world is the prisoner of sin. We are all under the prison of this kind of uh, destruction within us, this brokenness in us. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, you might say, what kind of a God would allow A world to live like this to be like this what kind of a God what kind of a loving God Christians say that God is love what kind of a loving God would ever create a world like that where people are broken and they can't help but do bad things and the Christian argument is well God didn't create the world like that that if we were to remind ourselves of that story in Genesis and I know I talk about it a lot but what we have to understand is the whole Bible flows out of that moment in time so we need to keep reminding ourselves of what happened That in the garden, God created, he created somewhere that was perfect. And there's something about this garden that is significant that we don't often think about. That the spiritual realm of heaven interacted seamlessly with the physical realm of earth. And God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And when he made Adam and Eve, our first human parents, when he made them, he saw that they were good. He saw that they were good. They were made inherently good. They were made inherently good. Yet what happened was is that they wanted to be like God. Because it's not just that they ate from the fruit of any old tree in the Garden of Eden. They ate from a tree that, first of all, God had told them not to eat from. They did something that went against God's way for them. God said, please just don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Anything else you want, take your pick. But just don't have anything from that tree. But there's something else significant about that tree, because it's not any old tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, to have the same knowledge as God. They wanted to set themselves up to be like God, having a knowledge of good and evil. Now, God is a good God, and being a good God means that he needs to be a just God. We all want justice when we see somebody do something wrong, and God is a God of justice, and he makes good decisions. And so when Adam and Eve sin, there's a punishment for their sin and a consequence for it. And it comes in two parts. First of all, the whole earth shifts as a result of their sin. Something comes into the world that wasn't there before. Death enters the world. Paul writes in Romans 5 that that through one man's sin, through Adam and Eve's sin, death enters the world everything fundamentally shifts. The, the soil becomes harder to, to work. The land becomes more difficult. But there's something else that happens as well as a consequence of what they do and their rebellion against God. They're told that they have to leave the garden and separation from God enters into the world. What is spiritual and physical, these two uh, 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 almost realms that are united together get separated from one another. They're separated from God's presence. They can't have interaction with him. And as Paul says in Romans 7, what are we going to do about this, he writes? Who can save us from this body of sin? What, what can we do? Because now we're trapped in the situation, the situation that Adam and Eve found themselves in, that we can't help but do things that we don't want to do. We're, we're inherently caught in sin. We can't help but do things that we uh, know aren't right. We just end up getting drawn back to it again and again and again, like a moth to a flame. We can't help but go back to it. It's become our default position. And what we find is, is that God in his great mercy, in his great love, makes a way for all of this to be made right. And we've been singing about it all morning already. God himself comes and steps into the situation in the person of Christ. Fully man, fully fully from the line of Adam. But yet fully God, able to live sinlessly, able to live without ever making a wrong step, a misstep. Jesus says of himself that that, that he's obedient, fully obedient to the will of the Father. So that as he goes to the cross, he's able to achieve something for you and I. And that what he's doing on the cross isn't just dying a death. He's not just a, a good man put to death at the hands of evil people. Peter, I'm going to speak about this a little bit more in a bit as well, but in Acts 2, Peter stands up before the the people in Jerusalem. and He he talks about Jesus being the one that they have crucified. But he also says it's the plan and foreknowledge of the Father to do it. It was God's will. You see, there's something more going on at the cross than just a good man dying at the hands of evil men. And what is going on at the cross is, is, is God is making a way for you and I to have our sins forgiven and our sins paid for as i said earlier on death is the death is the punishment for sin jesus christ himself takes our punishment upon himself he also takes our separation from god upon himself on the cross he takes the the two consequences of adam and eve's rebellion against god and he takes them onto himself as a substitute Now, my children, at the moment, when we're reading the Bible in the evenings, we've been looking at the crucifixion story. And the the other day, Edie said to me, uh, Dad, why did Jesus have to die? I was like, great, this is a great moment. Let me preach to you. Um, I said, that's a really good question, Edie. I'm so pleased you've asked that. Why did Jesus have to die, Dad? And I said, okay, what, what happens when you do something wrong? And she said, well, you make me go and sit on the naughty step. It's good to discipline your children. It's a scriptural thing, by the way. You need to discipline your children. It's important. I definitely need to discipline my children. It's important that we do that. But anyway, so she understands what discipline is. She understands what wrongdoing is. And she understands punishment through the discipline we give her. And I said, what would happen at the moment if, if Edie, if, if you've done something wrong and I tell you to sit on the naughty step, mum comes into the room and she says, it's all right, I'll go and sit on the naughty step for Edie instead so that she can carry on. She can go outside and be free and just go and play. I said, that's what Jesus does for you on the cross. He takes the position that you should have himself. He goes and takes your punishment so that you might be free from it. This is what Jesus achieves for us. He, he, he substitutes himself in our place, taking the death that we deserve on himself, that we might be freed from it. Does that therefore then mean, just swiftly moving on, does that therefore then mean that we could just carry on sinning as a result of it? If Jesus has died on the cross and taken my sin and taken my shame, well, surely that means that Well, I could, if I'm a Christian, it's all been paid for. We've sung it a few times this morning. I could carry on because I could imagine Edie's face when I told her about, about Claire going to sit on the step. Oh, great. I'll just carry on as I was before. <laughs> She's going to go and take my punishment for me. Happy days. That isn't, that isn't the point at all. The point is if you understand what Jesus has done, you're free to live differently. You're not free to, you you don't go and trap yourself into the things that you're freed from. (laughs) Is that how how the New Testament would speak about it? You walk away from them. But I think too often what we can end up doing is we can end up walking back and trapping ourselves into the things that we have been freed from. However, it is clear in the New Testament that if you are a Christian, you still sin. I just want to just get and make that really clear because sometimes people can read silly theology that might teach something different. If you are a Christian, you can still sin. You're not free. You're not free from the idea that because you because you're a Christian, everything you do isn't sin anymore. That would be bonkers. We are. We still sin sometimes. We still make mistakes. Why is that? Why is it? Well, look, as I said to you earlier on. Adam and Eve in the garden knew what it was to walk in the spiritual and physical reality of God's presence eternally with them all the time. But then they experienced the separation between the physical and the spiritual. We still walk within that in some regard. Yes, we have been made new. It says that if you've come to Christ and received Christ's sacrifice as your sacrifice for sins, that something new is formed in you. Paul writes in Second Corinthians that you are a new creation. The old, the old goes and the new comes. But even though that's the case, you are still in a mortal fleshly body. You are still in the physical world, and the physical and spiritual are yet to still be fully reunited. Yet we walk with the spirit inside of us as a deposit and a promise of what's to come. So yes, we can, we can sin. And let me just read you this from First John uh, chapter 1 and going into chapter 2, because I think it will help you understand where the writers of the New Testament come to on this. This is the message, this is verse 5 of 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice, probably better uh, labeled there the, the word propitiation, for our sins and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's expectation isn't that you're never going to sin again. John's expectation is, is that you walk towards righteousness, pursue holiness, But know that when you make mistakes and sin, that you are to confess your sin, knowing that Jesus is faithful and just, and he will forgive your sin. That's the the pattern that we get set in the New Testament. We set this pattern for how we should walk and behave in our faith. Now, some of the sin we do doesn't affect other people. A lot of the sin we do does. And so there are some sins that we do that don't affect others. There are some sins that we do that do. And sometimes we'll sin against other people, even in the church community. This is, it happens. It just happens in life. Sometimes maybe you might gossip about somebody. You might lie about something. And in those moments, my encouragement to you is to do, one of the, is, is to do a couple of things. If you've been sinned against by somebody else and you know and you're offended, don't start talking about them behind their back. Do what Jesus says in Matthew 18 and go to them and say, you have sinned against me. You've said this about me. It's just not true. And have a conversation with them. And then what you point them to is Colossians 3, verse 12. Forgive one another just as Christ Jesus forgave you. So we encourage forgiveness between one another. We seek forgiveness and we we need to be open with one another and say, hey, do you know what? What you said upset me. It offended me. That's a lie that you sold about me. We need to be honest and open with one another. If we want to be the people of God, we need to demonstrate what forgiveness looks like. And so sometimes those kinds of sins, and they happen all the time throughout life, because we make mistakes. We're still in the body of our, uh, the body of our flesh, and we make mistakes. Even though, that our, our, even though we have been redeemed spiritually, we still make mistakes. And so there's one, there's one thing, but then there are other things as well, I would say, that are much bigger things, and it's where we've been sinned against. And I wouldn't want to trivialize this matter at all, because I know that there are some people, when we start talking about forgiveness, have experienced things at the hands of other people that I can't even bear to start thinking about. Uh, you might have experienced abuse, emotional, spiritual, sexual, you might have experienced discrimination again and again and again. And so when we talk about, oh, you just need to forgive them, that can sound very terse and not helpful at all. Because I think when we've hit something like that in our lives, there's a, a much deeper thing that we need to start walking through. And, and, it's, and it's difficult. And what happens when we get sinned against in that way and it, and it causes us pain and hurt? The danger is, is that we can just live in unforgiveness. And we don't even want to deal with it because of the hurt it's caused us. And what we do is we hold on to it. And it becomes almost like a bit of a safety sort of jacket for us. Because that, 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 um, we don't want to deal with it because it hurts too much to even think about what happened to us. But at the same time, sometimes we can hold on to stuff because we want. We it's almost like a perverse form of justice. We feel like, well, if we don't forgive them, I'm getting justice for this. Per- I'm getting justice against what this how this person's behaved towards me. If I don't forgive them, well, at least I'm getting some form of kind of they're not. They know that I don't forgive them for it. And I think the danger is that is that you can become bitter. And resentful, cynical, and it can end up just building upon hurt, upon hurt, upon hurt, upon hurt. And if that's you, I, I don't understand fully how, how much pain that you've probably walked through, but I do know somebody who has, and that's Jesus. And Jesus, it, 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 we, we see as he goes to the cross, we see if you go to Luke, Luke 23, and Jesus is uh, uh, before the people with Pilate, and Pilate is doing his best to try and release Jesus. But the people keep shouting, don't they? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knows what it is to be dealt with unjustly. He knows what it is to experience abuse. You read the crucifixion story and see what happens to Jesus. He knows what it is. He understands it fully. As Hebrews says, we've got a high priest who can understand us. He understands what you've walked through. Better than I or anyone else ever could do. He gets it. And I'd want you to point you to him because he understands. But also I'd want to point you to him for another reason as well. And that's something else that it says in the creed. That Jesus Christ will come again. And he's not just coming again. He's coming again to do something. What's he coming again to do? He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. You don't need to try and enact judgment or justice on behalf of somebody who sinned against you. You need to place that into the hands of the just judge the one who will act on your behalf, the one who will judge with justice. And you need to be able to trust that Jesus knows and understands. And so I suppose the thing, there's there's two landing points for this today, really. First of all, it's the kind of the trivial kind of the day-to-day stuff, my encouragement to you. If you know somebody's offended you in the church community, go and speak to them about it. But if you're walking with a sense of 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 the fact that somebody has sinned against you in a way that you just, it's just almost difficult to talk about. My encouragement to you would be slightly different. I'm going to pray with you in a minute. My encouragement to you firstly was to keep bringing it to Jesus. But secondly, is to talk to us about it so that we can help you. So as a church, we'd want to help you. And that doesn't mean that we're going to have all the answers, but we would want to point you towards professional services and help to be able to to do that. I mean, just to say, so uh, we we have encouraged people towards counselling even over the last few months in order to help them move past things that have happened in their lives. We believe that we want to do things well and help you uh, understand who you are in Jesus. And so if that's you, I just encourage you towards that. And then lastly, I think there's the other thing of our personal sin before God as well. Because we believe in the forgiveness of sins, both towards one another, both even towards those people who have sinned against us in in awful ways. But we also believe that Jesus forgives us for our sin. And my encouragement to you today as we close is just to reflect for a moment. Is there any area of my life that I need to just say, Jesus, would you forgive me for? Jesus, would, would you forgive me? I want to turn away from it. I say sorry. Saying sorry doesn't mean you just say sorry and go and do it again. That's what I say to my kids all the time. Saying sorry means that you turn away from it and you walk away from it. Is there an area of your life today where you just need to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I got this wrong? I'm sorry. My encouragement to you in that situation would be confess your sins to others as well. We don't confess our sins to priests. We don't need to do that. We have a high priest. But confess your sins to one another. So. We're going to pray now, and I'm going to pray for all of those three things, whether you feel like you've you've been you're walking in sin, whether you feel like you've been sinned against, or whether you feel like you need to just go and ask somebody else for forgiveness, even in the church family. And then what we're going to do as a response to this is we're going to take communion together uh, briefly as we finish. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we thank you that... Um, our position is fundamentally changed. If we're in Christ, we thank you that we have become new creations. The old has gone and the new has come. We thank you that, Lord God, that we don't, um, uh, we don't no longer know a brokenness spiritually, but we know a wholeness because of what you've done for us. But equally, Lord Jesus, we're aware that we, we know that we live in these bodies. That we know that we make mistakes. We know that we're waiting for that day when, Jesus, you'll return and bring all things together. Lord Jesus, we just come before you now. And we confess our sin to you right now. Jesus, we are sorry for the things that we do, that we know took you to the cross. Jesus, we are sorry for the things that we do that held you there as we sung earlier. And Jesus, we thank you that you forgive us. We thank you that you say, as far as the east is from the west, that you'll remember our sins no more. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I pray for anyone here today who feels that somebody in the church might have sinned against them. I pray that you give them the boldness, the courage, and the grace to be able to go to that other person to be able to talk about it. But I pray for anybody here today who feels that they've wronged somebody else in our church family. Lord, that you'd give them the boldness and the courage to go and say sorry. We want to demonstrate what we know to be true. That we can walk in forgiveness. And Lord, we pray for anyone here today. As I just spoke briefly on at the end, who might be walking through incredibly difficult hurt and pain as a result of somebody else's sin towards them. Jesus, we thank you that you know their pain. Jesus, we thank you that you experience their pain and their hurt and their rejection. Jesus, we thank you that you suffered the way that they've suffered and that you know. Jesus, I pray that they would know you with them. Thank you that you're the king of comfort, the prince of peace. Jesus, they might know your peace with them, but also that they might know a sure and steadfast hope. That, Jesus, you're coming again to judge the living and the dead. Lord, that whilst they might not seek justice in this life, Lord, I thank you that they can know forgiveness. Lord, that they can know forgiveness for themselves, but also they can know to be able to walk in forgiveness for those that have have, have, have done harm to them. And so, Lord, we pray for them, that you'd help them on that journey towards forgiveness this morning.